But when I really looked at it, I was like, what is Ashkenazi? I don't even know what that means. Um, and it, it was just shocking. But obviously in my case, since I thought that my dad was black, I knew immediately what it meant because DNA doesn't lie. So I knew that it meant that the man who I thought was my father couldn't possibly be. My name is Linda Laurel, and I'm asking you to have the courage to listen with an open mind to all of our voices, because our voices matter. This episode is brought to you by BMW of West Houston. Hi, this is Robert Ory, the seven-time NBA champ, also known as Big Shot Bob. BMW of West Houston has provided me and my family with the best service and the best experience for years. BMW has been there for me and my family for years, so much so that it has convinced my wife to switch over from a former brand to BMW, and she loves it. BMW has been the car to drive. It is the ultimate driving experience. Hey, everybody, it's Linda Laurel, and this is Our Voices Matter podcast. What a conversation I have for you today, and one that I think is so critically important to help us navigate these divisive times that we are living in. My guest is Kara Rubenstein Dayeren. Kara is the CEO of a nonprofit called Right to Know. She started this nonprofit to, in her words, turn her pain into power. That pain was born of a DNA test that really shattered her identity. She grew up thinking she was half black, only to find out that in fact, she is half Jewish. So that's all I'm going to say for now, because her story is one that really needs to be told in her own words, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Here now, my conversation with Kara. Kara, welcome to our Voices Matter podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much. Well, you know, when you reached out and shared a little bit of your story and said, you know, I lost my biracial identity. I grew up thinking that I was half black. And then I found out through DNA that I'm actually half Jewish. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to that moment when you got the DNA test from Ancestry.com, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What the heck was going through your mind? I think it's one of those moments when you have a discovery like mine that you'll never forget. You know, it's like a moment that um, when people remember when the space shuttle blew up or when Kennedy was shot, it's just one of those moments that's seared in your mind. You know where you were, you know when you were, and it's just such an innocent act to click on an email. <laughs> um, and just, you know, most people do a DNA test looking to find out about their roots, which is why I did one. Um, and then to get such a shock, um, it's, it's like your world ends in that moment. For me, time froze. Um, and when I first opened my results, you know, you get your little pie chart and it looked right to me because it showed 50% something, which made sense because I thought I was 50% uh, black or with African DNA, uh, which I should have known because most people who are black don't have 50% of one specific African DNA, right? It's a, mm -hmm. it's a makeup of a lot of different things. Um, but when I really looked at it, I was like, what is Ashkenazi? I don't even know what that means. Um, and it, it was just shocking. But obviously, in my case, since I thought that my dad was black, I knew immediately what it meant. Because um, DNA doesn't lie. So 
I knew that it meant that the man who I thought was my father couldn't possibly be. Okay. So um, when we did our sort of pre-interview for this mm -hmm. and, I, and we were just chatting and, and kind of getting to know each other, I said to you, and this is for those of you who are listening and not watching. So when I look at you, I would never have thought you were half black. I would have thought right away that you're Jewish mm -hmm. because I have a lot of Jewish friends and you look like a lot of my Jewish friends. So how is it possible that you grew up thinking that you were half black when in fact you weren't? So, I mean, how, how is that? Explain this to us. How did this happen? Well, first I want to say thank you because I've never really felt like I looked like anybody or anything. So it, it warms my heart when I'm told, oh, you look Jewish because I've never been told that I look like something. Um, mm -hmm. And the first in my community growing up, I would just wasn't around Jewish people. Um, I had a couple of Jewish friends, but just not enough. Maybe if I had been in a group of Jewish people and everybody kept saying, hey, you look Jewish, I might have thought about it a little bit more. But people who stop me in the street often think I'm Hispanic or Italian. Um, I'm mm -hmm. every once in a blue moon. Actually, people often say to me, what are you? I don't know. If, uh, I mean, people, I'm sure some of your listeners have heard that question before. It, it can be yes. burdensome to have that asked of you over and over again. Um, but, you know, you grow up trusting your parents. I mean, that's the most so sacred. Tell it, where, did, where did you grow up? And then tell us about your parents. Yeah, I grew up in Seattle, Washington. Um, with uh, Really, I was raised just by my mother. Um, my father and her had split up before I was born. Um, and so you know, I was told these are your, this is your family. And of course you believe what you're told by your parents. It's the most, and your mother is white. My mother's uh, European. Yes. European. Okay. She's, and your Finnish. and the father that you grew up believing was your father was black. And he's black. Yes. Kenny was my um, father on my birth certificate. He wasn't in my life growing up. He was a recovering drug addict. So he didn't really participate in my life until I was a young adult. Uh, when we got to know each other a little bit better. Um, but growing up, I spent a lot of time with his family. And, you know, when you're told this is your family, then as a child, you're going to believe what your parents tell you. And every once in a while, I pull out the picture of my mom and my dad and think, well, if I squint at this, I can see me in there. <laughs> um, but I just, you know, it never crossed my mind that he wasn't my dad. It just never crossed my mind. Okay, so there's this story that, that you have about what happened when you were seven years old and mm -hmm. you first kind of were introduced to the black side of your family. Um, when, so when, when did you realize what it meant to have uh, African ancestry as part of your DNA, so you were told and thought? What did, what did that, when did you realize that, that you were half black and what that actually meant? And then how did that whole family thing unfold when you were seven? Well, I think many people who are biracial can understand you never quite feel like you belong in one space or the other. So while my mom's family accepted me, I never quite, you know, I had the black dad, right? And I, I'm a, I'm a little bit, even though I'm not that dark, I am darker than most of my mom's family. And so I never looked like I was fit into that family. And obviously, when I was with my black family, I never felt like I fit into that family. Um, so, you know, growing up biracial, you have that sense of not fully belonging in one space or the other. Uh, I think 
I, the, the story you're referring to is my mom says, you know, I did hang out with my grandparents as a baby. And I do have some photos of me with my grandparents, but obviously I don't remember that. But my first real memory of that, of hanging out with my family, of spending time with my family is when I was seven, when she put me on a bus. And those people who are familiar with Seattle, we lived on the east side of Lake Washington in Bellevue. So she stuck me on a bus to Seattle, which is about a half an hour bus ride by myself with this giant red suitcase and told me where to get off in front of the Bon Marche <clears throat> and told the bus driver. I think about that because I have children. I can't imagine. <laughs> it's a different a seven world year old. now. Yeah, it's a, little yeah, bit it's of a different world now. Yeah. Um, and you said, she said, there'll be a big, uh, there'll be a black man who'll meet you in a red car. Just get out and it'll be okay. And, and that's really my first memory of my family is my grandfather, my pop, picking me up um, from in front of the Bon Marche. He wasn't there when I got off the bus, which <clears throat> I, I started to panic. And so I started to cry. So I sat on my giant suitcase and he pulled up and opened the car. And he's like, girl, I couldn't even see you. What are you doing? You know, get in the car. <laughs> um, and I spent a week with them. And it was traumatic for me in the sense that it was a very different culture from what I had associated with before. Everyone talked faster. The food was different. There was a lot more teasing. Uh, black culture is so uh, effervescent, vivacious. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it was a different experience for me. How were you received by your grandmother and your other relatives? Um, my grandfather sort of took me under his wing. I was his favorite and he helped me sort of navigate the family dynamics. Um, my grandmother never really liked me. Um, <clears throat> I was told that it was because she had had a near death experience because of the color of her skin in Oklahoma. And so she really didn't like white people. And so it, it, that was why she didn't like me. It had nothing to do with me is what my grandfather told me. Yeah. Um, rest of the family accepted me. Um, I remember being younger and my cousins painting me with my grandma's cake makeup. So I would look like them. <laughs> so I would have um, the same complexion. I broke out. It was not a pleasant experience afterwards, but um, for the most part, I was accepted. Uh, Pop said to me, you know, black folks have always had to accept everyone because of the one drop rule. And so, you know, if you're part of the family, no matter what, then you come on in. Yeah. And for those of you who are out there who don't know what the one drop rule is, um, it's if you have one drop of black blood, you're considered black, no matter what yep. you look like. And that's that's, you know, there's the one drop and there's the quadroon and there's the octoroon. And all of that is based upon how many of uh, how, what, how many grandparents of a certain color you have, et cetera. So um, you have grown up in a really unique kind of circumstance, um, because you have had um, a foot in both worlds. Um, you've chronicled a lot of your experience in a blog. And I was reading one of your blog posts um, right before we started chatting this morning. And in one of them, you, you talk about uh, passing mm -hmm. and how your grandfather, your black grandfather would say to you, when you have the opportunity to pass, you should. And your response was always, well, I don't want to do that. Why would I want to deny part of who I am? Talk to mm -hmm. us a little bit about that whole dynamic. 
passing is such a complex concept. And I think people who don't grow up in a, in a, around black people or in a black family don't really understand what passing means. And hopefully we're getting to a point where nobody has to even think about such things. I know for me as a 13, 14 year old girl, it was such an odd concept, the idea that you would didn't have to deny your family. But you know, the way pop kind of explained it to me was there may come a time again, and he fully believed this, where black people aren't accepted anymore. And it could be detrimental to your physical health and safety. And therefore, you would say you're white in order to survive and not have not be attacked. And and he he wanted me to be protected in that way. And it was just such an odd concept to me because um, I never had to experience seeing where people felt the necessity to do that. And family was always so important to me. So I always thought passing was such an awful thing. The idea that you would need to pass, that you would need to deny part of yourself. But then when I found out I was half Jewish, and like I was telling you before, I don't feel like I ever looked like anybody. I never walked into a room where people looked like me. But after my discovery, I visited a temple for the first time. And I walked into the temple and most of the people in the room looked like me. But I didn't have the cultural context or the language, right? And so if I kept my mouth closed, I could pass as Jewish. And so for once I was like, okay, passing is okay here. I felt like I belonged in the space. And if I didn't say anything, then I passed. Um, of course, as soon as I opened my mouth or, you know, I don't speak Hebrew, um, it was obvious that I, I was not uh, raised Jewish. And so um, passing took on a more complex uh, sense for me. So where do things stand with your family dynamic now? Um, what, in terms of how you've been accepted on, on both sides of the family or not? So having misattributed parentage, which is what we call this, meaning that one or both of the parents that you grow up with, you learn are not your actual parents. We call those your raising parents or your social parents. That's what they call it in adoption. Um, um, so when you make a discovery of misattributed parentage, there's a possibility for rejection. Um, and, and really, the first thing that's important in having such a discovery is identifying who your family is, because it's like your foundation is toppled, your rug is pulled out from underneath you, you have no idea who you are anymore. And that person that you saw in the mirror, the context that you have for that is gone. So now every time you look in the mirror, you see a stranger, and you have to try to rebuild that. So finding your genetic family is really important to help give you some context as to who you are. It took me about four months to figure out who my genetic family was. And unfortunately, they have rejected me. Um, and my raising family on my dad's side, some of them also rejected me as well once they realized I wasn't related to them by blood anymore. Um, so it's been a process. How, how are you navigating that process? How, how are you dealing with that? Turn your pain into power. I think that's the best thing people can do in these circumstances. So I started a nonprofit to help people who make these discoveries. Um, I'm sure it, you know, people have been, um, having different parentage over many, many thousands of years since humans have been around. There's been extramarital affairs and other reasons that you have children with misattributed parentage. But now with the over-the-counter DNA technology, those secrets are coming out. Um, people are discovering that they are adopted and their parents didn't tell them or that they were conceived through assisted reproduction techniques 
and their family didn't tell them. And so when you make these discoveries, regardless of how or why you have misattributed parentage, it's very traumatic. And so I started Right to Know to offer services for people, uh, a, f- a safe space to heal and, and, and get access to the resources that you need to navigate this crazy thing. Because when this happens to you, you think this is crazy. This could never happen to anybody else in the world. Who else grows up thinking they're half black and discovers they're not, right? But there's a huge community out there. And we think one in 20 people have misattributed parentage. So there's a lot of us. That's a huge number. Mm-hmm. That is a huge number. So tell me how um, how Right to Know helps those people who reach out to you because of their misattributed parentage. What what are you what are you doing to help people get through this? And and if there's a particular story that stands out in your mind, aside from your own, which is quite extraordinary, if there's another story that stands out in your mind that you could share with us where you've been able to help someone get through a situation like this. Oh my gosh, there's so many different avenues of misattributed parentage because this reverberates throughout the family and it's not just your family. I mean, most people who make these discoveries are adults. So, you know, I have a spouse, right, who had to deal with um, the fact that who he married isn't who he married. (laughs) Um, Luckily, my spouse is very supportive, but we've heard of some spouses going, oh, wait a minute, because it's actually unusual. I'm the only person I know of who thought they were half black and found out they weren't. Um, we hear often about people being raised European and then discovering that they're half black. And then their spouse goes, uh, I need some time to process this. I didn't think I was marrying a biracial person. Um, mm. and, and so the, it can be very tricky for just your nuclear family. But then there's your raising family or your genetic family, your friends. So this reverberates, you know throughout the family. So we maintain a hotline or a resource request line. Our hotline is 323-TALK-MPE. And people call up and the first number one priority is just to listen. Because again, you think this is crazy, nobody understands. So it's staffed by volunteers who have had a misattributed parentage experience. And then we provide a free DNA search angel to help them find their genetic family. Um, Most people have identified their genetic family. I mean, one uh, Pew study said one in seven Americans have taken an over-the-counter DNA test. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty easy now to identify genetic family. Um, uh, It's a lot easier than it used to be. And as more and more people test, it continues to, to the, that time span has lessened. Um, So we provide them with a search angel. And then we also, most people want to see a mental uh, health therapist who, and we look for people who are experienced with misattributed parentage. I would say like 40% of the people with an MPE want to talk to a therapist. So we connect them with a therapist. And we also have a mentor program to connect them with a similar experience. So if they learn they're a late discovery adoptee, we'll connect them with an adoptee or they learn that they're donor conceived with another donor conceived person. And then of course we have private peer led support groups on Facebook and things like that. And one of the reasons that it's so important aside from just, and how you so beautifully talk about this, um, you know, on your website and and, in your writings that, you know, everybody has a right to know what their identity is. They're, you know, it's where you came from. We all have the right to know that. Um, go, go ahead. I was what just going to say, say genetic identity is a privilege. We talk about privilege a lot. And privilege is something that you don't realize you benefit from. 
right? And, Mm -hmm. and you do, you benefit from knowing your genetic identity and you don't understand the consequences of not knowing it until it's you who doesn't know it. And I'll give an example. There's one gentleman in our group who grew up in Texas and a huge family and he was in the middle. Um, And his family, of course, accepted him. But as soon as he stepped outside of his family, he was treated like he was a biracial child person. And he didn't understand because he was raised European. I'm white. And his family treated him as white. And so that's what he thought he was and how the world should treat him. And, you know, he didn't have any context or tools to deal with being a biracial child. When you go, grow up biracial, you're taught those things um, and, and why people uh, might say negative things to you and how to emotionally process that. So he would step outside and people would call him racial slurs, but he didn't understand why. And he didn't have any help from his family to process. Um, so when he did his DNA test, he discovered he was half black. And now he can go back and reprocess all those experiences as a child from a different lens. Mm, mm. That's so deep. Wow. Um, and then the, the, one of the other reasons that people search for their genetic identity um, is also for medical reasons, because you, you need to know what your medical history is, particularly as you age and as things start to come up. You, you need to know what's, what your DNA is, is in your body. When I was pregnant, I was tested for sickle cell because wow. I come from, right, the, a black, yeah. I'm half black. Yeah. I should have been tested for Tay-Sachs. And luckily, um, I didn't marry someone who had that probability, but it could have been very different. Not knowing your medical history is just devastating um, and having to have that discussion with your doctor is really difficult. You know, by the way, half of my medical history is no longer relevant, which is why we really advocate for parents to tell their children about their unique conception from the beginning. We have the capacity to love no matter what. We're going to love our raising parents because they're raising us and they love us. It doesn't matter if we're genetically related to them. But we hear about parents who, you know, children who are donor conceived, who go to the doctor and the parents know that half that medical history isn't true, but they don't want to tell their child that they're donor conceived. So the issues that the the medical issues that the child's having, the history that the doctor is basing the decision making on is invalid. It's not right. Um, And these can have huge ramifications for someone's health. It's the ramifications are just and you can't even begin to really wrap your head around all of it. And, and you know, when you talk about the numbers of people in our world now who have this information and how you can get it at the drop of a hat. Um, so I know one of the things that you've you've tried to do as you have gotten to know your well, not really gotten to know, but as you as your birth family was revealed to you and they ultimately rejected you. Have you been able to piece together anything about your birth father and any of your medical history from that side of the family? Luckily, Washington State um, allows you to get death certificates if you know this precise information, anybody. So I managed to get the death certificate for my genetic father and for my grandparents. So my father died of kidney failure. I don't know exactly what caused it. I do know he was in dialysis for a number of years. Um, so I am able to piece some together and it does give me a little bit of peace of mind. Um, right to know did a study of people with misattributed parentage experience 
And uh, last year, we haven't yet published our results, but um, there was more than 600 respondents, but 70% said they have anxiety about not knowing their medical history. I mean, this is a big issue for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's important for us to get that information. My family did share a little bit of it before they said, we no longer want contact with you. And, you know, I had such a rich family from my black side of the family. We had traced our ancestors back to three slave brothers. There was such a rich tradition. I'm obviously interested in um, ancestry. And so for me, it was really important to build that story again for myself and my children to understand. And I have such a rich, I'm, I'm lucky I have such a rich history in my family from my um, genetic father. My father was Sam Rubenstein, and he was a big philanthropist and businessman in Seattle. And, you know, growing up, my mom would always say to me, I just don't understand why you're like that. <laughs> and where does that math ability come from? Why do you like to start businesses, you know? And my, you know, it makes sense now. So much makes sense. We call it um, synchronicities in the misattributed parentage world. And as people reach out to genetic family, you know, they discover, you know, maybe they're in a family where everybody is um, teachers, and but they wanted to be a nurse. And then they find their genetic family and they're all doctors and nurses in their genetic family. Mm-hmm. Or they all like the same color, um, the same types of foods. What we hear a lot from family that embraces the new person is they get to see that lost relative in that person, if the person Mm -hmm. has passed away, because there is so much from our um, nature that we do get from our genetics that come out and how we walk, even how we phrase um, our language. So there's so much more to genetics than I think people really thought in the past. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think if we can embrace each other, we have this beautiful thing to see that in each other. Yes, yes. So is your mom still alive? My mom is still alive. And so have you had conversations with her about all of this? What, how did that go? (laughs) So I learned two days before my birthday and I normally we talk a lot since it was just her and I growing up and I I tried to call her and she didn't answer the phone. She's a snowbird. So she goes south for the winter. Um, And I thought, oh, she'll definitely talk to me on my birthday. And she didn't. It was the only year in my life that she didn't call me on my birthday. And I think I mean, I just have to think cosmically, she must have felt something. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have to give my mom credit because when I said, mom, I got these results and it says I'm Jewish. <laughs> have you ever met a Jewish man? <laughs> and she was like, no, but I must have. Um, and DNA doesn't lie. And so sometimes we hear mom saying, oh, that test is bogus. It's not, the, you know, the test is wrong. Um, but the science is right. Like I said before, DNA doesn't lie. You know, and at first you think they must have switched my test. (laughs) I mean, that's the first thing you think when you get your results. But Mm -hmm. if you look at your matches, um, I had matches that matched my mom's family in my DNA matches. So there's no way they can switch part of your test (laughs) when you send Mm -hmm. it in. I mean, of course, I I sprinkled the internet with my DNA. I I took a DNA test from every single testing site there is just because I wanted to find out who I was. Um, but I do give my mom credit for acknowledging that. And it took a while, but over a year I managed to piece together my origin story. And I hadn't realized how important knowing how you came into the world is to sort of recontextualize who you are. So I know that my mom met my genetic father in a bar and they had a one night stand. 
um, and I know which restaurant they met at. And it gives me a starting point for rebuilding my sense of identity, which I have to work on daily. It's, it's still, even though it's been, um, almost four years now, um, I still have to process and remind myself, this is who I am. This is where I'm going. I think I told you before, I have a picture of my father and my, my genetic father, and my mother above my computer, just so I can look at it sometimes and ground myself in that. Yeah. Wow. And, and so what about your black family that you grew up with? Are you still in touch with them? Are you still accepted as part of that family? What is that dynamic? Well, my grandfather passed away a long time ago. My grandmother passed away about five years ago. And Kenny, my raising father, was diagnosed with a terminal illness. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we had gotten much closer over the years. Um, and when I got my results, I had asked him to do the test too. The reason I tested is because I wanted to take my three sons on a Finding Our Roots tour in Africa, but I didn't know where to go in Africa. And so I asked my dad to test and, you know, he was like, baby, I don't know if I want to do that. And I was like, please, dad. <laughs> and he did. So when I got my results, I didn't want him to open that in an uh, email in the computer and not see me as a match. And so I had to tell him in person. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was a hard conversation. And I was hemming and hawing and I wasn't quite, I didn't know how to, and he had to say it. Because when you say something out loud, it makes it real. Yeah. And um, he said, baby, just spit it out. Whatever it is, we'll get through it. <laughs> and so I was like, you're not my genetic dad. We're not related. He's like, that's it? <laughs> you're still my daughter. Um, and really, the whole experience brought us closer together. And, um, you know, when you discover you're Jewish, you have 15,000 cousins because of endogamy, marrying within the culture. You're more related but I had no close matches. And so every time I would see him while I was caring for him, he'd be like, baby, you have a right to know who you are. And so, and how is it going with the search? And so that's where the name right to know came from is from him. He did pass away in May, two years ago. And do you have contact with any of your cousins on the black side? Of you? So I grew up thinking I had from Kenny, um, five different siblings, all from different mothers. And I do stay in contact with one of my sisters, um, uh, but the rest of the family I'm not in contact with. No, uh, I have a, I have an aunt actually. Okay. And so, how yeah. have you have three children, right? Okay. Yes. And what what are their what are their ages, and how have they dealt with all of this? So they're they're now twenty eighteen and thirteen. So this was four years ago. Um, and I am an open book. <laughs> And I was not myself after my discovery. People choose sometimes not to tell their children, but I really wanted them to understand that mom was going through something um, because there was so much to be dealing with. Um, I definitely spiraled into some depression. Um, I like to say at first I dealt with my discovery with donuts and whiskey, <laughs> which is not the, not the advice to give to somebody. You know, whatever it takes way. to get through it, right? <laughs> donuts and whiskey. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so I did tell them um, we have a very open family and it, it, it was difficult for them. I mean, they grew up with their grandfather um, having their own experiences. Um, he used to take them to the mall when I needed a break. 
And, you know, like the guard would follow them around because what is this black man doing with these two little white kids? Is he taking them, you know? And so they have their own stories of, of, of having, of being biracial in a way um, that they had to recontextualize. It didn't change their relationship with him at all. But now that they knew they were Jewish as well, then you start to pick up on those types of slurs and and anti-Semitism that maybe you didn't notice before because it wasn't part of your family. You know, I, I have a, um, um, relatives who died in the Holocaust, who were murdered in the Holocaust. Um, and so just processing that information, has, it, it takes time yeah. for my kids. Um, but they've embraced their identity as much as, as they can. It's not as much of an impact on them as it was for me, but it definitely shifted things. But what a what a gift, really, mm-hmm. you've given them to, you know, know who they are and where they came from and what their their lineage and their ancestry is, um, because this could have had you not done what you did, it would have just gone on for another generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 your husband obviously is dealing with this. OK, he's amazing. You know, and my family um, wasn't. Um, very into connecting with me. Um, and he knew how much culture and identity was important for me. And I wanted to understand what it meant to be Jewish. He went and found a class on being on Judaism for me. And we went together um, just so I could be comfortable and not alone through my experience. He's been amazing through it. And I feel very blessed that I have that support system because not everybody does. Um, and these are huge things. I mean, your identity, you know, who you are, who your parents are, that makes up and shapes you. And so to have all of what you know based on a lie is very traumatic. One of the reasons that I was so interested in talking to you when you reached out and and shared your story is because of where we are as a human race right now Mm -hmm. and all of the divisions that we have, the this social justice, the racial justice reckoning that's really been at the forefront over the last few years. Um, You are in a unique position because of the perspective that you have, having lived and walked in both worlds, the black world, the white world. Mm -hmm. Now you're in the the Jewish world, which, as you just said, you know, deals with anti-Semitism and hate and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I want to know what you have learned about humanity as you have navigated and continue to navigate this process. What can you share with our listeners and our viewers about the state of the human race and where you think we should be focusing? I think we need grace with each other. That's- Amen. I think we need more Amen. grace. That's more. my favorite word. Um, and as to assume people are coming from a space of grace and not negative intent. Um, obviously, there's bad apples in the world. I'm not saying there isn't. Um, the concept of race has always been something I've struggled with. Um, and it's, it's a made-up context that really isn't applicable it, we thought it was a division based on biology, and it's not. You know, our DNA is 99.9% the same for all of us, no matter what, I call it your book cover, you know, no matter what your book cover looks like, we're the same underneath. 
Um, and we have to stop judging people and making assumptions by their book cover. I don't know what your lived experience is, and you don't know mine. So let's take a moment to get to know that before we have a judgment about what we see in your book cover. Um, you know, it's been difficult for me to navigate um, because it is such a charged world right now in in these things. And, you know, I don't, I've been told before, you're not black, so you shouldn't be talking about those things. And you shouldn't be claiming that background. But this is my lived experience for 44 years of being a biracial person. Um, and I can't just make that lived experience go away because my DNA card says I'm something else. And when people say, well, are you black? Are you a, are you Chinese? Are you, um, whatever? You know, my question comes to now that we do have the DNA technology, are we going to say, well, what percentage does it say? <laughs> you know, we just need to accept what people say they are. You know, if I am living as a Jew and I am Jewish, then that's who I am telling you that I am. Um, Obviously, I don't believe in appropriation for financial gain or anything like that. I'm just saying that um, we have some fluidity in our identity and we should be able to embrace in our hearts what we connect with. And people should take that for what people say. So beautifully said. So beautifully said. Mm -hmm. And I think a, a perfect place for us to, to wrap up our conversation. Um, I, I am just really honored that you reached out because your story um, really exemplifies the whole mission of this podcast, which mm -hmm. is to remind us of our common humanity, um, mm -hmm. to give each other grace. And um, I just think that your story speaks to all of that so, so beautifully. And I, I hope that that those of you who are out there watching and listening will will take away that very seminal message. You know, forget the book cover. Underneath it, we're all the same, right? Amen. Let's just love each other. Amen. Let's just love each other. Kara Rubenstein Dayerin, thank you <laughs> so very much for sharing your story with us today. What a powerful message she leaves us with. Grace and love. Yes, we can do this. We can. Thank you so much, Cara, for sharing your remarkable story with our audience. And thank all of you for giving Cara permission to speak and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. If you or someone you know is dealing with misattributed parentage, I urge you to reach out to Cara and her nonprofit, right to know. We, of course, will link to that in the show notes on ourvoicesmatterpodcast.com. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks again to our sponsor, BMW of West Houston. There's a special offer for members of the Our Voices Matter podcast community. Just click the link in the show notes, bmwwest.com.